I'm Denise. I'm the Scottish one. And she's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise, the English one. And she's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome to the first episode of season four of the Editing Podcast. It's great to be back. It really is. It feels like it's been ages. <laughs> it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's dig right in. Uh, tell everyone what we're talking about this week, Louise. It's the grammar police. <laughs> the grammar oh. police. Who they are, why they're nothing to do with professional editing and yeah. how to manage an assault from one of them. <laughs> now... Denise, you wrote an amazing blog post about this a few years ago. Oh, um, God, yeah, yeah, way back in 2016 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. and it got well over 700 shares, which huh. tells us something. It struck a chord, not only with other editors, but with writers too. Yeah, yeah, it really did. And and it fits in really nicely with the discussion we had with Rob Drummond, our linguist guest who came on the podcast in season three. Right. So something that writers fear is if that if they put their work in an editor's hands they're going to be at the mercy of the so-called grammar police and that's awful because that's absolutely not what should be going on it's really not not at all though we all know the grammar police we've all been under their caution at one time or another whether we're editing or writing and in case any listeners out there don't know who i'm talking about lucky you it's those <laughs> people who delight in jumping on anyone who dares to commit a so-called error of grammar or language use and then calling them out on it loudly and publicly Particularly on social media. Yeah. I mean, God forbid that your fingers mistype something on Twitter because you're holding a mobile phone while frying chips and arguing <laughs> with your toddler. Mm. Not that I'm advocating frying chips, arguing with a child and tweeting at the same time, but you know what I mean. I know what you mean, yeah. And sometimes I just make mistakes because it's like, you know, Twitter yeah. or Facebook. Either I'm in conversation with someone or I'm sharing something for free. So give me a break. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And that's even before autocorrect has done its thing yeah 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 and the thing is the things that are often called out if they're not accidental errors and i'm thinking here about on blog posts transcripts that kind of thing they're more often than not they're issues of style or preference rather than actual yeah. rules yeah. and i suspect that the issues that get lots of people jumpy online they're the actual things that are outdated or were never rules yep. in the first place. They yep. were style choices made by someone's English teacher or more likely their teacher's teacher, which they're desperately clinging on to in the face of changing usage. Yeah, like singular they, the serial comma, try and versus try to. I find it hard to believe that these things are still even being called out as part of some shaming exercise mm. but even a spelling mistake come on you know so what yeah. and the thing is that online communication and the kind of normal um sorry the kind of informal writing style that you'll see in creative non-fic and in fiction particularly dialogue respects voice and all the wonderful idiomatic variances that come with speech yeah yeah so you know yeah. it's it, there's no rule there's, no there's, there's no rules no no well often sometimes there are rules but but much less often than people actually realize <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah yeah and that's why behaving like you're a member of the grammar police is a bad thing and it's why writers shouldn't capital. worry capital bad yeah 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 and writers should not worry that their editor is going to be overly prescriptive unless of course you ask us to be Right. Um, well, that's a good point. And I think we ought to take a minute just to focus on that, because in your line of work, Denise, nonfiction, you're dealing with business and academic texts. Um, 
Mm -hmm. So are there times when you will be prescriptive or more prescriptive? Because when I'm dealing with, um, when I'm editing fiction for indie authors, I use style manuals as a guide, but my approach is very fluid and I'm more than happy to ignore, for example, Chicago's recommendations on something if I think it just works better for the story to do so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are definitely times when I'm much more likely to adhere to a set of given style preferences. For example, if I'm copying an article for an educational journal, that journal will probably, quite rightly, have strict guidelines for how numbers, tables and figures should be rendered. But it might also insist on things like avoiding passive voice. It might decide that data should be plural or that singular they should be used or that the serial comma should only be used when absolutely necessary. None of these are absolute rules and article authors have consented to stick by that given style as part of their publishing agreement. So I am going to be more pedantic in that case because I'm working on behalf of the publisher to their style. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pedantry with purpose, isn't it? And that's why it's different. It's not just for the sake of it. Mm -hmm. So prescriptivism is very much about context. Language isn't chiselled in stone. It's a living thing, and that's okay. We don't write like Chaucer or Shakespeare anymore. We don't speak like the BBC presenters of the 1950s. I don't think that's a very good impression. (laughs) I certainly don't speak like that anyway. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. I don't think you ever did. Never. Uh, Or anyone in your family ever did. Well, um... So context is everything and we adapt the formality and, and as editors, we adapt the formality and pay attention to accuracy depending on our target reader. So just because somebody writes a certain way on social media, that doesn't reflect some assumed level of capability in terms of literacy either. Absolutely. But the, the other thing is it's just plain rude to call yeah. people out in public, yeah. even if they have used non-standard spelling or punctuation and they don't reali- realise it is non-standard. It's, uh, uh, it's just rude. It's absolutely. I would I would even swear about that, but I'm not going to. Yeah. 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 And, and I'm really glad that you said non-standard rather than wrong, because that's what nails it. We mm. are just talking about standards, conventions and guidelines when it comes to written English. So if you've benefited from an education that taught you formal standard grammar and you don't have to wrestle with a learning difference such as dyslexia, you should be thankful and you should be gracious. Just let it go. There must be more important things anyone could be doing in their life than spell checking someone's Facebook posts. You mean like frying chips and arguing with a toddler? (laughs) I'm joking. (laughs) Now, what do we do when we see errors in an article or book? Calling out in public is a no-no, always. Mm. But what about private messages? What do you think? Well, I think if you see a really obvious error in someone's blog post or web copy and you think it'll help them to fix it, I think it's collegial to send them a private message. A private message. Yeah. Private. Private. (laughs) But frame it right. Let them know that you're enjoying reading it, but you've noticed this or that mistake and thought they might like to correct it. If you're sure it is a mistake as well, that's the other thing. Um, And then you've done it. Job done. No public embarrassment caused. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there's something related to this that does come up in editor forums now and again, and that's about contacting publishers if you notice a mistake in a book. You've worked in House Louise. What do you think about this as a tactic? Does it come across as a bit too grammar policey? That's a good question. So, um, regardless of the, I don't think for me it's a grammar police issue. Um, <coughs> I think it's more of a sort of practical yeah. point of view. Um, mm-hmm. So my view on this is that the book's already published, so you're telling them about something that can't be fixed. Well, not in the print version anyway. 
And yes, because I've worked in house, I've seen how busy everyone is trying to get new books out to market without then having to worry about teeny weeny slip ups and stuff that's already been put to bed. Yeah. And and I'm not just talking about some howling error on the front cover. Um, you know, obviously that's that that's I mean thousands are going to people, millions of people yeah, are going to yeah. this out. So talking about the odd wee typo here and there, I just don't think I just don't think that that's the way to approach it. Yeah, yeah. Though if it were web copy, it's something that they can change easily. That's a different story because it's fixable. It's yeah. that it's that context thing again. Mm. But if you're an editor who wants to get on a publisher's radar, why not just send them an email telling them who you are and what you can do for them? That's a neutral approach that won't offend anyone. Absolutely. Go to them with solutions, your editorial abilities, not problems that they can't easily solve. Yeah. And thinking about writers concerns again for a moment I think all writers should feel free to ask for a particular style points to be adhered to I actually include a form on my website that authors can fill in um, once once we've agreed to to work together and mm -hmm. and they can tell me if there's something they don't or do want me to do so if a semicolon is banned for example or if a particular character's title must be rendered in a certain way or if they want me to look out for any little stylistic tick that they're trying to avoid yeah I mean I think that and that's a really sensible idea because then you know you know them from the beginning rather than having to go back and you yeah. know you've maybe made changes that they don't want on these particular issues that you need to go back and sort out again yeah I've got the same approach with creative non-fiction I'm not going to slavishly drop zero commas into a book just because it's and I'm doing air quotes here standard unless the author insists on it and yeah. good editors might well try to defend a stylistic decision but only if they think that your work might be perceived negatively by readers but at the end of the day it's the writer's call yep I end every editorial report with a reminder to the author, it's your book and you can accept, reject or tweak any of my edits or suggestions as you see fit. Because a lot of the time it is subjective. Yeah. It's not me being the grammar police and imposing decisions on a piece of writing because of my own preferences. Mm -hmm. At least I hope that doesn't happen. That yeah. subjectivity thing um, does come into play. And I, and I think one of the hardest things about being a pro editor is making sure you really are improving the text rather than inputting preferences. It's something... I think we all have to keep an eye on. <laughs> yeah, I, and I do think that that can change the, the more experience you get. The, the, I think the better you get at distancing yourself from it and yeah. saying, this is, this is not my writing and, and the way it's written is good enough and, and, it's the, and it's the author's choice for it to be like that. Yeah. If I was writing yeah. it, I might write it differently, but I'm not. So I'm yeah. going to leave it as it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So shall we have a quick chat about how to deal with the grammar police when you encounter them? And yeah. this goes for writers and editors. So the first thing is don't engage with them on the mistake or the non-standard variant that they're pulling you up on. And the reason for that is that it's just a distraction away from whatever you were talking about and a move towards a rabbit hole from which the grammar police will not let you climb out. Yeah. They want you in there so that they can stand at the edge and throw stones at you. It's like <laughs> that George Bernard Shaw quote that goes something like, don't wrestle with a pig, you'll get dirty and beside the pig likes it. Yeah. And, and <laughs> that, that's it, you know, there's, yeah. just don't. That's it, yeah, yeah. And I know how hard it can be not to respond when you feel like you're under attack in a public space. And we were talking about this before we started recording, weren't we? And we've mm. both been subjected to it at times in our editing career. And because editors and writers work with words, I think there is an additional pressure on us to get it right everywhere, every time. Yeah. 
and sometimes that's, that's pressure just from ourselves ex- and, well exactly um, yes yeah yeah but it's just humanly impossible mistakes happen yeah. yeah but if you feel tempted to respond think about all the nice things you could do for that 10 minutes <laughs> that it's going to take you to stop seething and craft a public response to the attack and then the additional hour you'll spend when that person comes back at you again yeah. So maybe you could spend some time, I don't know, outlining your new book or checking the references in the article you've written or, of course, our favourite Louise, grabbing <laughs> yourself a glass of your favourite tipple. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> or if you're still online, respond to a commenter who's way more interesting than Wing Commander typo. That way you just <laughs> shut the grammar police down. Social yeah. media feeds are so noisy and fast that they'll disappear in a flash. And that reminds me of one other thing. Um, online discussion spaces... Um, work on algorithms that prioritize posts that are getting engagement and so when we respond to the grammar police we're essentially telling the algorithms to reward the negative comment and we're helping it get more eyes on it do you know that's a really good point and i think it's one that is just really easy to forget that by Mm. feeding the trolls you are rewarding them and making them much much more visible yeah yeah and that's a technical as well as psychological benefit for the snarker so don't hand that power over to them And one more thing you can do is to remind yourself that they're the one with no social skills and they, not you, are the one who looks like a bit of an idiot. Indeed. Right. Now we've sorted that out. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's time for Editing Bites, the regular bit of the show where we each recommend a favourite resource that we think you'll find useful. So mine is a little tool that our friend and editing colleague, Janet McMillan, kept nudging me to buy for several years, I think. And I don't know why I never got round to it until recently. But now that I have, it's saving me oodles of time. It's called Text Expander. So basically, for a few quid a month, you can store snippets of text with links if you want and assign shortcut keys to them. Then when you want that text, um, when you want that text and um, you don't have to type it again over and over and over. So mm. it's really handy for writers and editors who are repeatedly typing similar notes, queries, addresses, emails and URLs into documents or into a website. In fact, I, I, I love it on my at the end of every blog post I write. Um, mm. I always have a bio at the end yeah. and I've now popped that into Text Expander, And so I just type a couple of letters and the whole bio just slips into into it's brilliant. and um and and expands into the into the box i've created rather yeah. than me having to even go and copy and paste it yeah. in the document it's so much quicker because it works across different platforms doesn't it? yeah it does yeah it's not yeah. just in word it works on email it works on um uh i think it works on you know online forms all mm-hmm. sorts of things really mm-hmm. clever little um Tool. yeah i still don't have a copy of it it's, it's on my list i know i know you need to get it i think it's I, only about four pounds a month it's really yeah. it's i mean it's a no-brainer actually and yeah. so many of our editor colleagues you included obviously rave about it and uh, yeah. like you i've just been hearing about it for years and just not got around to it so yes i shall add that to my to-do on list, your to-do yeah. list yeah <laughs> um so my bite is if you're interested in learning up-to-date information on grammar and language use Uh, My bite is The Blue Book of Grammar and Punctuation by Jane Strauss. Now, this is a grammar guide and workbook for American English. I think that's important to point out. And I learned about it in an international editor's forum. It's a lovely clear format with handy quizzes to test your understanding. So if you're writing in American English, this is a good one for you. Great. 
So that's it for this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Editing Podcast. It's great to be back. You can rate, review and subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whichever platform you prefer. And we've put all the links we've mentioned in the show notes so you can grab everything there. Bye for now. Bye bye.